Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your hosts, Dave Gurney, and I'm here with... My name is Joe Hilliard. And Carlos Cooper. And today is a special episode. We've done one of these before. Um and for some reason took a super long time to do it again. Um, COVID. I mean, that's part of it. Uh, but we're doing another Brewers episode, uh, our, and also our first guest since the pandemic, which is exciting. Uh, yeah. But today we have special guest, Corpus Christi native, uh, founder and co-brewmaster, I'm assuming, I should ask beforehand, of Isla Street Brewing Company, Joaquin Pena. What's going on, man? It's nice to finally meet you in, uh, yeah, officially. Man. I've been into the brewery yeah. a couple times, but I don't think we've ever crossed paths in that. No, usually like going back and forth, doing shit, and trying to mingle and try to handle stuff with beer yeah. or brew. So it never stops. Oh, I hear you. Self-employment, am I right? So we're going to get a beer cracked, which is what I'm attempting to do right now, which is why I got distracted. Uh, I'm taking extra precautions because we've got a... We've got a thick boy on deck this time. Uh, a pastry stout, Skelvator is the name of it. Did I pronounce that yeah. correctly? Yeah, so we did the uh, He-Man series with uh, yeah. a few for beer. So we did the uh, the grape and jelly masters of the Gooberverse, and then we did a uh, new hazy, which is a uh, Castle of School, which was really really good. <laughs> and then um, yeah, we did this red velvet cake stuff that we haven't brought back in a while. So this was more of like a tasting room thing. It was nice to actually have it in the can. So. Mm. Should get that nice red velvety cake kind of, kind of off the nose. Nice. So this is, uh, I think this might be the first canned beer that I've had from you guys, and I'm I'm seeing the um, 17 ounces somehow fit into a 16 ounce uh, can uh, folklore that I've been hearing so much about. I think yeah, I was like <laughs> a secret from a brewery up north that told us like how to fill these uh, crawlers up, and and uh, yeah, we get we try to fit like 17 to 18 ounces in there. It's kind of like when you were little, when you're Hispanic, you kind of try to fit everybody in like the smallest car possible. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out of the doors and everything, so because you don't want to. One more ounce, one more ounce. We can get one more ounce in this can. I know it. Come on, <laughs> pack it to the brim. Okay, so um, for those of y'all that normally or that are frequent listeners of the podcast, you know what our format is. Um, we're going to deviate from that a bit. If you are new to the podcast and are tuning in to hear us talk to Joaquin, uh, welcome. Hope you stick around uh, after this one as well. Um, but normally we do two. Um, we'll do two movies. Uh, before COVID, one was a new release and then a pairing of something that went with it. Since then, we've kind of deviated from that a little bit, but it has still been two movies, first movie, first beer, talk about the movie, talk about the beer, second half, do the same thing. Uh, but for this one, instead of doing a movie in the first half, we are just going to chop it up with Joaquin and uh, kind of hear from him a little bit, and then we'll get into one of his favorite movies in the second half. Um, but I think the first, or I, I know the first question I want to ask is just like, hear about just kind of like your early life and like i know you're from corpus but kind of tell us a little bit more about that and kind of where you came from pre-craft beer pre-isla street pre-isla street was uh basically a uh, high school graduate and then i attempted to go to college and figured out it wasn't for me 
So I just joined the workforce and uh, I sold phones and did customer service and sales for, for a bit, probably about like 10 or 11 years and then got married and then uh, somehow because we were having twins at the time, I was living up in Austin with my wife. So we already had a daughter and then uh, we uh, needed to make a little bit more money. So I decided, oh, it's been almost 10 years now uh, to go in the oil field. So decided to do that and uh, work my way up from the bottom hand all the way up to I uh, was a uh, basically like a lab technician or oil field chemist. So basically I would design all the, the jobs that went out into the field um, for all the guys. So I'd work closely with all the engineers, different companies that we had. So that was my stint for almost eight years. And then right around 2014, 2015, it started to tank. So that's where, like, decided, shit, we got to go into something else. So yeah. me and my brother, Josh, and and, and uh, my older brother, which he lives in Colorado, but we always wanted to come up with something, some kind of concept, whether it be, like, barbecue, a restaurant, food truck. So I always had these crazy ideas. We just never kind of followed through with them. And then so right around that time, I was like, well, I want to learn how to start making beer. So I just watched one YouTube video, kind of correlated with what I was doing currently in, in lab, what I was doing in the lab. So watched one video and said, all right, next weekend I'm going to start brewing. So it's pretty much just dove into the deep end, which I made a Belgian Saison, which is my first beer. It was like with basil, sage, Dang. Uh, orange peel. So it's pretty complex. It was kind of to mimic like the homage of like my grandparents' house over there on Easton Street. Mm-hmm. So I had like, he had a garden with uh, different kinds of you know, spices, fruits, vegetables, stuff like that. So that's where the kind of idea kind of blossomed from, was from that. So um, after that, it was pretty much um, brewed for, brewed a couple different batches. I brewed the Midnight Tradition and then 1606 were like my first two batches that we did. We spent New Year's together, which was actually my grandfather's uh, second to last New Year's. And uh, he tasted the beer that we, uh, the 1606, gave the thumbs up. So pretty much at that time, it was like, okay, we got to we gotta get this going. So right on. pretty and, much. And what was the 1606? It was, a, it was a traditional like Belgian Saison style. Okay, okay. Uh, that's the Saison. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I was I was huge into saisons. Saison, well, I still am. There's that there's that like fanboy group of saisons that people love that like traditional like either like the Belgian saisons and those always have my heart. So right they're like the nice little gateway gateway beer into everything else. Yeah, so I feel like I'm hearing a uh, somewhat familiar narrative in that it started with home brewing and then evolved yeah. from there. Yeah, right on. Yeah. So that, that kind of leads me to wonder, like, how, how did you think, like, okay, I'm going to make this leap and actually start a brewery? I mean, I know you said you were kind of looking for that venture that you could maybe do with your brother to, to make it more of a, you know, an outlet for yourself. But did you know, like, instantly once you brewed that first batch or those first couple that you were going to be able to do this thing? or? Well, yeah, that was kind of like you get that, that thing, that, that optimism in your head when you first start you know, going at it. And I was like, yeah, you know, we're going to start doing it. And then, yeah, it was pretty much just after that, that New Year's, it was like, we got to get so, um, It was very difficult at first because obviously, you know, capital and timing and, you know, I was going going away at work two weeks at a time. So it was just kind of like I would brew here and there. So it was kind of like a mixture of just being uh, opportunistic with the time I was here. 
which I would just try as best I could to get like beer in front of everybody. So that just getting the beer in front of everybody kind of helped out, kind of with like the story, the the uh, just the, what we were coming out with. So it kind of created the buzz in general. So that's interesting. So did so were you like bringing your uh, you know like growlers of beer around for people yep. and going yep. to bars and yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Hayes group that we have here um, in San Antonio, South Southwest Hayes group, a few guys there, you know, anytime we were going to bottle shares, it was just pretty much home here that I was bringing. I was that dude that carried <laughs> around. It's like, hey, man, you want to come home? It's like, hey, he was like, we're coming out with this brewery. Because it was always like a thing, you know, you always talked about coming out with a brewery or like opening a brewery. And the next question out of everyone's mouth is like, well, what can I try your beer? And I'm like, oh, I got it right here. Here you go. <laughs> It was, it was really good to have, like, the general feedback, you know what I mean? So I think it kind of, like, shaped where we are now because, you know, before, when we first started out, it was like, oh, we're just going to brew, like, Saison's, Wits, you know, traditional style. We're not going to brew IPAs. And then you start bringing beer. <laughs> you think it's the greatest thing in the, in the world. And then everyone else is just like, yeah, it's okay. And you're like, oh, shit. So... Um, there's a fanboy saison. You talked about like the fanboys of just one particular beer. I, I find these days there's a fanboy everything. Mm-hmm. And when you start a new brewery and like pre-COVID, because I guess you guys opened up the first weekend of 2019 there in San Antonio. Yep. Yep. Okay. So immediately you're you're breaking into an existing market, enthusiastic customers that want to be a fanboy of the next big thing how are the fanboys a problem or are the fanboys uh, <laughs> are the fanboys a helpful part of a growth strategy in the brewery industry these days uh, it's it's interesting because you do get those people that are just kind of like want to push sours and you know they, that's all they want to see you know i think we have like a really interesting eclectic um clientele we get a lot more people that that come in like and they they are willing to try craft beer because we're introducing to we're introducing to them in a completely different way, like with putting like a Hispanic pastry in there, or you know different things like they might be relating to with like pop culture references on some of our names. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how it kind of goes. The fanboys, I mean, they I, I wouldn't say they kind of direct where we go because I mean I kind of keep it where we brew whatever, so it kind of keeps everybody happy. So it's which I've kind of found that's kind of been like the better like happy medium, because I mean I, I kind of wanted to shoot for being good at some of the things that people are really interested nowadays. Obviously, pastry shouts have been kind of like one of the things that we started out doing, and then we finally hit uh, a market with the sours. So we were able to kind of like balance the two out, and then the hazy IPs came you know started to come along for us. So that way we can kind of get a well-rounded, more more well-rounded menu. You know, some of the traditional beers. I mean, they have their place. Like, you know, we had a wit called Itty Bitty Witty Committee that people didn't <laughs> like first. And then it was just kind of like, man, this is actually really good. And then we did a lager. So, there, you know, we try to keep it almost like it's almost spontaneous for us. If the name, the ingredients, everything else fits, that's where we kind of go with it. So we got some really good advice early on when we bought our first brew system out of Colorado. They actually owned a brew pub there. They pretty much just gave us the advice where – you know, don't go for shelf space. Don't be upset when you sell out of something. You know, people are going to naturally just uh, get over it. So don't bring it. Don't be afraid to bring it back. Always rotate your beers. So that's kind of like the way we've kind of always done it, you know. So 
where we have like 10 different beers, you know, some people will get upset about it. And it was just kind of a, one of those weird things where it kind of fits for us. Because, I mean, the first thing we were told, like, when we first opened, was like, oh, well, you know, you got to have a lager on for all those Dos Equis and Bud Light drinkers. We've yeah. only had one on. Fuck that. And, and that was it. Everything else has just been literally just what we've kind of wanted to do. Yeah. So, and, and, I, and, you know, it's... No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I get and then say people have been really uh, receptive to it, so it's been it's been cool. One of the things that kind of struck a chord for me, as far as what you just said that you touched on, was you know kind of drawing people in by throwing in like a Hispanic pastry or whatever and stuff like that. And I think one of the things that has always kind of hit me the most about y'all's brewery in particular is like the storytelling of what you guys are doing and like who you are and what your identity is and the different beers and the names and all, all that kind of stuff has always like from the beginning or for at least the beginning of me, like being aware of y'all and following y'all has been very organic and seems like super authentic, like two brothers with a passion for it that are just doing what they want to do. And I think what you said about um, only ever having like one lager on, like you don't, especially in the craft beer space now, I feel like it's not so important to try to appeal to like lowest common denominator kind of broad yeah. taste. Like, and it's something that I've seen y'all do that I think y'all have done very well and is partly, you know, I think is a large part of how you guys have blown up so much in the past year, not to mention the very high quality of the product as well. But yeah, no, I, I, I echo what Carlos was saying, but, um, you know, <sighs> So I, I guess when I'm thinking about what I know of Isla Street, or is it Isla or Isla? I'm, I, I've never, either, either way, you're, you're happy with it. Um, yeah. You know, like Carlos was saying, that there's a lot of these kind of interesting pop culture tie-ins. There's obviously um, an interest in sort of Hispanic culture, you know, the pan dulce, the, the, beer, the beers you do that are kind of based on, on some of that. Um, but... I, I mean, I guess one of the things that I, I'm curious about is how long was it until you kind of knew, like you talked about starting out with Saisons and you, you talked about kind of doing some of that brewing that, um, you know, tapped into some, some styles that you knew of. And then you have these emerging trends. What was it like for you to kind of realize that these things that you loved when you were a kid or that sort of were reflective of your experience growing up actually tied into some of these styles that were emerging, like these pastry stouts or, or even, um, you know, the sours that, that you're doing? Mm -hmm. I think Goncho La Flor was probably the first one. Okay. That one was and fire. It, yeah, that one, thank you. That one had just because it had the name, the Selena reference, and plus we were able to use the conchas too. So that kind of like triggered, okay, that that makes sense. So it was kind of just like right at that period, we, we were in the process of making all the beers uh, prior to opening, and that was one of them. But it was in that time where it was like I made a whole list of all these different beers. We had all the different names. And we did uh, Contra the Floor. I think we did Saison, Claude Van Damme. That one was a good one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I think Contra La Flor was the first like time I that remember was... seeing people like lining up when y'all did those two pack cans. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was that one was nuts. Yeah. I, uh, hopefully we'll bring it back here in the next month or so. I know we're doing that collab down there with that coffee shop, the Harry Potter coffee shop. Yeah, there. yeah. I was so. I was gonna bring that up. Susan's the homie. I've uh, I've DJed over there with her before and uh... But I figured like I think we tried to start messing with different things when you know, it kind of felt that way with the with the opinions and the feedback we were getting, obviously. I think the pineapple empanada and the strawberry empanada IPAs, those were ones that people just, like, freaked out about because it was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're using that. Also, 
also <laughs> fire. So it's just kind of like one of those things where it's like, man, it's, it's just kind of like our thing. So we've messed with stuff like that. I think prior to opening, we did, uh, which I need to do again, which is it was a black garlic and caramel stout. Which oh, dang. Yeah. That sounds crazy. <laughs> so I got a buddy that owns uh, Texas Black Gold Garlic here in San Antonio, and he's got like this black garlic coffee rub that he uses. So it's got a blend of coffee and, and black garlic, which has kind of got like a sweeter wow. twist to it. So we did a black garlic saison with basil uh, probably two years ago, and that one was just, yeah, it doesn't go well with that. It was just too, like, too uh, potent. So I asked him, like, okay, what do you want? What do you use this in? And he, has, he said he, he does some kind of popcorn dessert where he does the popcorn, uh, black garlic, caramel drizzle, and then he coats liquid nitrogen over it so that when you bite it, you breathe out, uh, you breathe out the nitrogen. That's kind of like dragon's breath, I think. Oh, fuck. That sounds yeah. crazy. <laughs> so, hey, Joaquin, I mean, you guys were opened a year and, to my estimation, three months, and then everything changes. So, I guess, I mean, very general question. How has the pandemic in- impacted business, and h- how are you guys doing now? Um, It's interesting. You know, I know everything's been kind of focused on the Safe Texas Brewery thing. I think... Sure. The one thing that's been very interesting with us is I think since we've been so exclusive that this is the first time that people have been able to have our cans be accessible, that it's actually kind of been a lot more, uh, it's a lot more busier. So I'm actually working more. So Wait, hold on. More accessible. Didn't Caking Back Sunday sell out in like 45 seconds? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not accessible, but like being able to take it home. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, for sure. I was just, um, I was just working with you. It's been interesting because, I mean, like I said, it, you know, like I said, big production breweries are, are trying to find a way to shift. You know, we just kind of had the luxury of being able to to have the to-go option. You know, we've kind of stayed pretty well with it. So this has been kind well, of... Well, I mean, the, the traditional model is to start with what you have and then grow as you require. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys added to your initial setup in the, in the month, in the year, in a quarter... That you had before Corona hit, we did. Uh, we just recently bought a new seven barrel tank, and then we're getting another one finally. And then we upgraded to the three and a half barrel system a couple months ago, so we're able to put that into place. So, um, but yeah, it's it's been interesting because I mean we've kind of been growing little by little. We started on a one barrel system. We kind of went with that mentality. Like when I, well, there was one book that I. I had an audio, I got the Amazon audio book thing and it was free. So I got the dogfish book. And I remember just hearing that he started out with literally just 20 grand to do his whole like brewing setup. So he had like a homebrew setup. He didn't even have fermenters. He had like just uh, old kegs that he used as fermenters. So I was kind of like, you yeah, know, we can, we could do that for a little bit. And then, it's, it's like DIY filmmaking yeah. in a way. Yeah. I mean, you work with what you have. Exactly. Because, I mean, the, the way I look at it is like a lot of the stuff in the brewing industry, it's all built on convenience. And the more you pay for it, obviously, it's going to be a little bit easier to do. I mean, if you're willing to kind of just put a little bit more elbow grease into it, then, you know, it's no big deal. You know, yeah. as long as the end product, you know, turns out the same way it should, you know. For sure. Okay, so I, I've got a question as like uh, someone who also like went into business for themselves and started their own thing. I know that when I started my record store, 
a big part of what motivated me to do that was that like, you know, I'm from Corpus, I was raised here and I saw like a hole in the market, like a need that wasn't being filled. And I thought, okay, I'm going to bring like a different perspective on how to do this or Mm. like what it could be to the city and hopefully like build a culture around it and that kind of thing. Was there something you thought was maybe like missing from San Antonio craft beer or was it just that, you know, y'all y'all wanted to do it thought that maybe y'all could have like a different like twist on it or what was was there any of that that was going into your thinking whenever you were getting ready to look at i've always looked at beers and just been like kind of what can we do to make them ours you know because there's sometimes where you go to like a craft beer city and you know you've got 10 breweries in a five mile radius that all have a pilsner yeah, you know, but nothing different about it. I mean, obviously, if it's brewed like really, really well, it's going to taste different. But I mean, if there's, you know, ten breweries in, in a five mile radius doing a pilsner, what are you going to do to kind of stand out from everybody? Mm-hmm. So it kind of turned into that. Where it was just like, you know, at first, San Antonio had just production breweries where I think the tasting room was more of an afterthought because it was just more okay. getting out the shelves because the the market was totally different. You know, four or five years ago, yeah, it was for sure. Water- wanted to be on taps everywhere you wanted to be accessible that way and then slowly but surely it turned into everybody wants to come to your tasting room you know so what do you have in your tasting room that's gonna that's different from what I can't I can't get on shelf so that was one thing when I would went to go visit breweries was you know you can get their stuff on shelves so okay, let me go to the brewery and they have the same stuff so you can get at HEB that you can get on tap there so there wasn't anything different so I was just kind of wanting to kind of differentiate and kind of go with you know just a revolving tap list pretty much to where it kind of did set us apart because you can literally come in the next week and just have completely different tap lists to where it's like, man, I wonder what, what ease has got on tap this week. You know, if I'm not going to go in, I at least want to see. For sure. And, like, yeah. and here come the fanboys. Yeah. You know, that's, that's something that I think is uh, slightly missing from the culture here in Corpus is that, is that idea of like always having something new there's there's some there's some that do it but it's not like an emphasis i still feel like we're in that lazy beach does lazy beach is always doing new stuff they're they're the one that they probably do the most one i mean they definitely do the most one-offs out of anything yeah but that brings me back to a question that i had thought of a second ago uh my friend hector that owns rebel toad is a brewmaster over there um Mm. I, i remember when i started beer tending for him or whatever um we were getting into a conversation and i was talking about like how great the angry man porter is and how that's like especially when i was first getting into craft beer was like my go-to and he said i never i I didn't ever think i was going to be known for a porter i didn't set out to do that i feel like and this might just be my perception but i feel like you guys are really known for the suavecito was that like something that y'all kind of had thought like oh maybe this is going to be like are like flagship kind of thing or was yeah. it something that people just really took to or what happened with that because and it just it took off and actually we altered the recipe right before we opened because there was a, a, we started using a different coconut and it just set it just set it off it just set it off to a completely different level where we just had a different way of process of adding the coconut and it just man it's now it's a coconut bomb and people love it man, especially with the head on the rib there's literally oh, yeah. people that that will walk in when we were open. They'll look on the tap list. They'll look on the tap list. Obviously, does not on there. They will walk out. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So. Right on. Yeah. 
it's i mean it must be crazy when those beers blow up for you like certain ones like you say you you like to kind of rotate through and do some different things but i mean you know we, we in this present moment it we, we have to talk about rojo right i mean w- how, how this is blown up for you did you see that coming when you were planning this beer did you expect that you was going to have this kind of uh fervent reaction from the public no no I, it's funny because it was a joke <laughs> for our members and it was a secret menu that we did. It was a one-off week where we did for our members only. And we said, you know what, fuck it, we'll, just, we'll get some big red syrup and we'll throw it in a, in a Berliner wine. And I was like, okay, cool. And then it was just that, men, that little label was just made for them. And then they just go on their merry way. And then one of the members decided that he wanted to post it. And then that's where everything just... I, I mean, bro, I've got I, I've got people in my Facebook friends that like don't rock with craft beer. Like you'll ne- like I never see them at breweries. They're like they're never talking about beer. And I was just like, there was that guy that you sat down with outside the brewery. I can't remember what the name of his blog was, but David Elder. Uh, well, oh, what was that? David Elder. Yeah. And, bro i just i was seeing so many people sharing that thing like people like man i just stopped drinking and now this comes out you know stuff like or like you know i'm trying to slow down and this comes out and uh i mean that that one took off and like just like permeated into like way outside of craft beer culture it's kind of funny because evil twin just did a mountain dew one and that's right i forgot about that since they're in like a well-known established like craft beer market and everyone was just kind of like oh yeah cool mountain dew over here, it was just kind of like Big Red. It was like, ah, oh, it was just like we did something that was, you know, groundbreaking. So, But in, in a way, it was because we're all South Texans. If you're listening yeah. to this podcast and you don't live in Texas, you just don't understand. This is a, a <laughs> sour, true. and we're going to taste this in the second half, but this is a sour with uh, a Big Red adjunct big red in case you don't know well you tell us joaquin i mean because big red is only distributed in three states in the whole country you know it's funny we we've gotten calls from almost every 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 state uh-huh emails that are saying that they want this beer. we got i got a call from australia midnight a couple weeks ago damn yeah, I think it's just this thing. I guess because everybody moves, everybody moves everybody, with the stories. Everybody's just in in the armed forces, and they moved away. And big red, so big part of going up. It's just it's insane. I like for me. I mean, Corpus was Corpus was kind of big red. It was more red flash. So red flash. Yeah. Was was where it was at. And I forgot the, about red flash. Uh, it's just crazy how. I thought, like I said, Big Red was more like just a San Antonio thing. But but no matter where you live, you can relate because there yeah. are re- there are regional sodas. Yeah, you know the the uh, insane clown posse made Fago, Fago popular, yeah. but that's you know uh, certainly I limited thought, to I their thought, thing. I thought uh, insane clown posse was off limits on this podcast. I thought we. I don't know why. I don't yeah. know why it would be. That seems like a very <laughs> foolish decision to make. Oh, yeah, you don't but, mess with the juggalos, you, man. You don't mess with the juggalos. But you're but you're sitting. See, here's the thing: is that I see for Isla Street this weird opportunity. Where the news feed that I get, because I get a lot of beer news, is X percent of craft breweries destined to fail because of coronavirus. In other words, the market's oversaturated. You're sitting here in this weird situation where demand exceeds supply. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's uh, been it's been crazy. I know we, we've been talking about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And, you know, I think it's very cool that we're introducing another sector of people to craft beer. Like you said, I said, how I mentioned earlier, where we're, we're getting them involved that they never thought they would be involved in beer. But for us, it's just kind of one of those things where we've dedicated pretty much all of our operations here to that. And the second tank is going to be basically Rojo. We've had HEB doing the discussions with them. You know, and Dang, for real? Yeah. And HEB, we should say, is a very popular Texas grocery chain. They pretty much said, whenever you're ready, you know, we, we can, you know, carry your, your Rojo here. And it's just, wow. It's kind of funny. Because it was just because we went with that first label, we got our we got our first C and D. I was gonna ask about that. H <laughs> E B. We did the the Wild Rojo, and then we put that label out there, and it was just kind of like, yeah, let's let's not do that. We'll save you the C and D, but yeah, let's let's not let's not do that one. We got to come up with one. I think, but I think the second label was to make sure that we can do it because big one of one of the things was. You know, can we live without the big red deal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We would not have to associate it so much with big red. So I think having that label now and just the, the craze still be where it's at is just kind of, okay, you know, we can kind of move forward with, you know, trying to get into, like, you know, bigger shoes. You know? So hopefully yeah. we can do that soon. So we're trying to do it mechanically. Well, I don't know the ins and outs of the legal proceedings about having to move away from associated with association with Big Red, but I will tell you that as a South Texas boy, if Big Red hears what we're talking about, if you're putting empanadas in your beer, if you're putting a South Texas slant on things, I am meeting you tonight for the first time, but I know that your heart was in the right place when that thing went down because Big Red is South Texas. Big Red is San Antonio, Corpus Christi, and part South. I hope that maybe even Big Red will have a change of heart here and think that this might be a great pairing to push their brand yeah. even further out. And, and I, th- I thought it would be like that, and, I, and we used the, uh, the Martin House reference with the mm-hmm. best name. And then right. obviously, I mean, French is joining into the... <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> shit is right. wild. I mean, it's like, come on, man! It's like that mustard. That mustard beer flavored beer is getting good reviews, actually. It's not a mustard flavored beer, though. It's like a beer that is from what, from the article I read that is designed to pair well with French's yellow mustard. Uh, I believe I could be wrong. I hear it. I hear it tastes good. Yeah, that's good. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I love brewing. I and as much as like the big reds taken over a little bit, I love brewing these the Berliner Weisses just because. They lend themselves well to like so many things. They really do. Like you can do the pastries with them. We've done we've done a peanut butter banana one in the mm-hmm. past. It's really really good. You know people are doing peanut butter and jelly. They're doing you know all these different variants. We did a key lime pie one for our members that was just out of this world. And hopefully I think with this next go around I think we're gonna bring that one out and uh, have it in our general release. It was really really good. So they just kind of they're they're a little bit more accessible. I mean stouts are the same way, but. I mean, Berliner Weisses just kind of just open up this whole other, you know, section of just different things that you can throw in there. So, right. A question that I I think we had intended on asking, but kind of glossed over a little bit in your early days of craft beer. Is there a specific beer that you remember that was that kind of put you on game where you were like, oh, okay, there's more than just Miller Lite or, you know, there's more than just like 
the stuff that we know, Dose, Stella, the kind of standards? Well, growing up in Corpus, it was very hard to come by a lot of the- <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Newcastle was one. Because okay. Newcastle was one that we, uh, you can go to like Mulligans and Murdoch's and get $2 pint night. And then uh, Guinness. Guinness is always wild my heart. Mm. That was that yeah, was a big yeah. one for me too. So I was I was huge in the big you know, and it's kind of weird how it shifted. It was just always, you know, imported beers were always what you needed to drink, and there was nothing about domestic. And it's weird how you the the gears have shifted. You know, you don't even hear about imported beers anymore. Mm-hmm. Like me, it was like Guinness. We used to go to uh, Cassidy's mm-hmm. and Lexford's. There's an amazing cream ale that just I fell in love with. Boddington's was another one. I was a huge, just like Nitro fan. Boddington's, Murphy's Drought. So those are all the beers that I kind of just like always fell in love with. I didn't start drinking like more of like Texas beers until Commercial Suicide, Jester King. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah. Before they, before they went to completely do it all sours, when they were just more of like the English style brewery. Yeah. Yeah, and that, now they're kind of swinging back, and they're doing and they're yeah. doing some other stuff here. Yeah, but uh, Jeff yeah. shifted away from just doing sours, but it was more like well, growing up going back to you was just like literally was finding what we can that tasted good, like uh-huh. especially being in Corpus. Yeah, yeah. Well, it and it has it has been kind of amazing to see how things have opened up even here in the <laughs> in Corpus uh, in, in the last few years, and and certainly in San Antonio and Austin and Houston and in and some of the other major cities and even the Valley um, through, yeah. throughout Texas. Um, well, th- this has been a lot of fun. I, I've enjoyed hearing about this. But we would be remiss if we didn't touch upon the beer that we've been drinking here in our glasses. Uh, I finished mine well, already, so. Yeah, I know. I, oh. I slurped mine down, which, you know, usually a pastry stout will take me a good hour to, you know, I'm going to take these. This is a delicious, delicious beer. That's not as thick as we do them, though. That's probably like middle road. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is kind of like we're toying a little bit with the viscosity. Right. And, we have kind of getting into the feedback where it's like, oh man, your your stouts are like too thick. So I was like, okay, well we'll take it. <laughs> Maybe we can wrangle it in a little bit more. But now, since we haven't been brewing them, and, and we're going to brew two, we're gonna brew one. I, we just did a collab with Five by Five down in Mission. Oh yeah, uh, El Mundo. Was that the Shipley's a, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. And, uh, we did, just did a Unity Stout with Jay Wakefield. Uh, so that should be coming out here in the next week or so. Wow. And then we're finally going to do the two. So we'll do that Harry Potter, uh, the Harry Potter stout. And then I'm thinking of doing a pistachio coconut and calling it the juggernaut. Ooh. <laughs> shit. Yeah. That's well, always good. You, see, now, now, that you, now that you're an official friend of the show, maybe you can help us uh, connect <laughs> with some of those beers. But this, uh, this you know, we're drinking the Skelvator. It's an imperial stout uh, looking at the can. Uh, finished on red velvet cake and a touch of sweet cream and vanilla. I don't know if we mentioned it, it's a 10.3, so I'm feeling pretty nice. But I have, I have a question for the brewer before I give my thoughts. When you pour a stout at the at, at the tap room, is it coming out uh, re- like highly refrigerated? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what do you suggest to your the folks that take the crowlers home? Uh, is the proper are y'all pretentious enough to discuss uh, uh, and, uh, <laughs> drinking temperature ideal? We try to. Some people are just you know all over the map. I I, I 
some people are different. They'll sit there. I've seen people just hold the stout, the glass, with their hands so that way it warms up. But yeah. we try to be, okay. you know, you know, now you got to open this up at like, you know, 50, you know, 50 degrees. That way everything opens up. Yeah, we we, discuss, we discussed it at the top of the show. We'll typically pour a beer and then review a movie for half an hour or longer. And so you can enjoy that beer as it warms up. Yeah. Mm. And, and I got to tell you, I enjoyed this 10.3 as sweet as it was with red velvet cake, sweet cream and vanilla. That's a lot of sweet. It was never cloying, but it, yeah. I enjoyed it as 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 I enjoyed it. If you follow me, coming yeah. right out coming right out of the fridge, those first couple sips, I was like, "Uh oh, this is a little sweet." But then it got it got it got good. I love red velvet cake, so that as an adjunct is a great idea. Okay, question for you, Joaquin: What do you do if somebody takes a Skeletor home, pours it at their house, posts a picture of it, tagging you guys? And it's in a frosted mug. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, we give them a you know a for effort. I guess <laughs> that's so, that's well, a smart business. With, business with the robots, they have the. We haven't had too much of it, but I've seen the. I mean, I love the enthusiasm, man. It's just it's awesome. That, like I said, if whatever takes people away from that normal macro beer, the macro beer, I'm fine. For sure, so, yeah, for sure. Pour it in a frosted mug, I'm, you know. No harm done. Not ideal, but if you want to, by all means. Like I tell everybody, I mean, everybody started from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's a, I mean, that's a big problem in like the yes. vinyl record yeah. community as well as a little bit oh, in craft. Yeah. There, there's, there's some gatekeeping crossover between like being a record nerd and being a beer nerd that I, I can't, I definitely get. That's a great movie, like record stores. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think hey, David, what did you think? Well, I, I love it. I mean, and, and, and to me, you know, it makes it even better that we have this tie in with Masters of the Universe. I mean, when I saw those cans coming out when you were doing that series, that that hits a sweet spot for me nostalgically that uh, I, I'm sure it does a lot of, uh, you know, folks our age and their, you know, 30s, 40s that, you know, it. It just makes it all that much more pleasurable. But yeah, I, I agree with Joe. As as I was sipping on this, as we were uh, having this conversation, it just kind of got better and better. So th that was lovely. I love how it just kind of opens up a little bit more. You know, yeah. Like, and I think I think we owe a big thank you to Joaquin for these because I mean, let's just throw the curtain all the way back. David drove to San Antonio to pick these beers up. Right. Yeah. And and Joaquin, I, I know that you guys have put so much uh, labor and into the Rojo releases that I think you might have pulled these out of the like secret closet. This was the brewer stash right here, man. Oh yeah, man, yeah, we yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, you thanks. did us real kindness, and we appreciate that. Um, but we're really excited because after the break, we're finally going to get to taste some of this much talked about, much ballyhooed Rojo that we've been hearing about, which maybe in terms of drinking sequence would have made sense to go first. But given the film we're going to be talking about in the second half, I think Rojo is the right choice to pair with our second segment when we get back. And we're back! 
All right. We are we are back with uh, Joaquin Pena from Isla Street Brewing out of San Antonio. And as is our tradition, anytime we have a brewer on the show, we asked him what his favorite movies are. And he gave us a few to choose from. We chose the 1993 classic Tombstone that does not shy away from violence. There's plenty of blood in the movie, so we thought this might be the perfect time to pair it with that Rojo, his Texas beer phenomenon, a sour that is spiced, if you will, <laughs> with real big red syrup. Can we, can we legally say that? Yeah, you can. we can say it's big red syrup. Okay. Leave all that in, Carlos. Leave all that in. I just want to make sure, man. I'm not trying to put anyone in a precarious hey, situation. Joaquin and I have struggled with this moment for about a, a week and a half. Okay. <laughs> I do. I hate Big Red, my friend. I do not I like Big Red. I, you know, drink it if, you know, I have a hankering for it, but I won't go out of my way for it if it's there. I just want to follow. I want to follow that up with saying that I cannot be more excited to drink the beer because in this moment I'm holding in my hand a beautifully carbonated red beverage that people in Australia want and can't get. <laughs> okay, so so I first I want, cans came out. They were they were going for a hundred dollars on the secondary market. Whoa. I saw that. Yeah, that is crazy. For what? For one sixteen to eighteen ounce can. <laughs> one sixteen ounce can. We're going for hundred dollars. So, so Joaquin, how does that make you feel? Um, I, I try to not. I don't know. The secondary market is really weird. I don't do beer trading or anything like that. It's just kind of interesting to me. I'm kind of like that aunt that wants to see their their you know nephews open up presents and smile and clap hands because I don't really. Like I'll drink my I'll drink the beer as it's like going through the process, and then like I love seeing people just enjoy it. Mm. But like the secondary market just like it kind of bums me out a little bit because it's just like man it's like you know you you bought the four pack I mean I, I guess you bought it and I think you appreciate you know, the business but you know then you're going off and selling it for like you know an obscene amount I'm just kind of like man, that's I find that weird you know yeah. Just, but the demand, the demand for the beer has got to make you feel good. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's it's kind of that I'm very grateful for it. It's it's it just you know, it's it's awesome. It, who thought so something like this spontaneous joke would have just blossomed all this stuff? So yeah. Well, it, it, it's great to finally uh, to, to get to experience it. It does pour just as red as uh, it's advertised. And, it does, <laughs> and yeah. I'm and I'm getting some of that uh, you know bubblegum uh, aroma that that people talk about with the uh, the big red, which is I guess a little bit of a misnomer. It's right. It's more of a cream soda flavoring with like lemon lime oil uh, added, but you know it, it's the classic big red uh, aroma, which I only discovered for the first time today like carlos doing my research david who the because fuck are you to be describing big red you're from maine, my maine. Guy. that's it that's it i'm i'm not from south texas so what is, what is the main soda what, give maine a shout out what's the, the, the main re- soda is moxie and now i am waiting for the <laughs> for some main brewery to pick up on this trend and do a moxie beer which maybe has happened but i haven't heard about it so joaquin will beat them to the punch <laughs> yeah, it's gonna get some imported. We've already we've already tinkered with mellow yellow too. So hey, oh, mellow yellow that, that goes down smooth. Heard it here first, folks. A squirt Berliner Weiss. 
Ooh, maybe a surge. Hey, <laughs> shit. Now, I was, I was excited when, when this film showed up on Joaquin's list of possibilities um, for, a, for a few reasons. One, it, it's a Western, right? Tombstone um, is, uh, you know, kind of a, more of a, a later, latter-day Western, sure, but, but a Western nonetheless. Um, a genre that I feel like doesn't get as much appreciation these days. Nope. And also one that sadly... I had missed. I mean, it was one that I just had never seen. So this gives gave me a great. This was your first viewing. My first viewing. Really? Um, wow. Same. And, but to give, but to give our view, our listeners, in case they they aren't up to speed on it. I mean, the the name of the film comes from the place that this film is set, Tombstone, Arizona. Um, you have this uh, figure, uh, a former lawman from Dodge City, right? Uh, Wyatt Earp, played by Kurt Russell, coming to town, meeting up with his brothers. Um, Virgil and uh, oh my God, Earl, right? Not Earl or what's Earl. What, what? Who's Paxton? What? Oh God, Virgil. Yeah. Virgil. No, oh, Virgil. Well, there's Virgil oh, ben, Sam, who's Sam Some of the M. Oh, Morgan. Morgan. Okay, thank you, Morgan. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've been so saying the, Morgan for a minute. I'm on mute. Sorry. Come on, <laughs> come on, Joe. So that that Skelvator went straight to my head, my friends. Right. The, the Earp brothers converge. They meet up with a, a another friend of Wyatt's, Doc Holliday, uh, played by Val Kilmer, and and the four of them kind of become this team in this uh, in this dusty western outpost that's starting to build up and, and become kind of more of a proper town. Um, and and in the midst of that, the town is being sort of. Uh, to some extent, terrorized by this group called the Cowboys, uh, led by Powers Booth, uh, his, his uh, character Curly Bill, I think, is, and um, and some of the other sort of characters, uh, Johnny Ringo, uh, is in there, and and then it's you know kind of your classic Western setup where you have the outlaws, these cowboys who are coming in and and not really abiding by the uh, the laws that have been set up in this town. You have the Earps. Uh, who are trying to put a little bit more um, law and order into place in the town. And this creates conflict, resulting in several, several battles, uh, especially later in the film. So that, that, that's the basic premise, the basic setup. Um, but, I mean, what a cast. I mean, the, fr- crazy right, cast. Right, right off the bat, you know, never having seen the film, going into it, knowing that I was going to see Kurt Russell, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, may he rest in peace, uh, you know, um, the, uh, Char- Charlton Heston, <laughs> Jason Priestley, Thomas Hayden Church. Um, the guy from uh, from Lost that played yes, John Locke. Yes, Terry Quinn. Yeah, yeah there we John Terry Locke. Quinn, yeah. Right. Who, yeah, I mean, it, it's just stacked with some of the best actors of the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Did we, did we touch on Billy Bob Thornton being in there, too? <laughs> yeah. No! In, in a very early role for him. I mean, yeah, 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 fat Billy yeah, Bob was there. Okay, <laughs> Joe, come on, leave him alone. <laughs> he, cleaned the, he cleaned himself up. Yeah, I was I was kind of surprised when I saw him in there, especially because of how small a role he has. I mean, I'm not a Billy Bob Thornton expert. I don't know his entire filmography, but I don't right. know. I guess I had just assumed that he was always like a thing, and then he's just kind of like barely in. Yeah, it. Like, it was really sl- Sling Blade was the thing that broke him, and that three was like years later, ninety six. Yeah, yeah, and and you know he was the writer of that, and anyway, so that. 
but yeah, th- at that point, I don't know that anybody would have noticed him as being anything other than just kind of a character actor who popped up in some things. So, yeah. Joaquin, we asked you for your favorite films. Uh, it was this or Rocky Three. Tell us about. <laughs> tell <laughs> us about guns. your. Like, tell us about your history with Tombstone. Like, why is this the movie? I, it was. I grew up in that era. Where it was just like westerns kind of ruled the the roost with you know. Tombstone was there, Young Guns, Young Guns 2, The Unforgiven. I was I, I had this like thing where I'd wake up, I think I was like maybe like seven or eight. I'd like wake everybody up with the opening part of Young Guns in the house. I'd like the volume. I had like my dad's ratchet, so like his his ratchet set at his uh, wrenches on the side of my belt. Those were those were my guns. So I was like the the hard like hardcore like into westerns kind of guy. So, yeah, we talk a lot about the movies of your youth, and I could see if this was one that came across the movie theater, and then all of the accessible ways to watch a movie after theater mm-hmm. in the in the mid '90s that anyone could be in love with this movie. Yeah, and Tombstone was like the, one of the ultimate like Band of Brothers movies. Yeah, yeah, like the brothers that were the unit, and then you had like that friend that was always loyal to them, with Doc. So that's why I was just always like, you know, my brothers are the same way. We're always, we always hang out with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie's, the movie looks gorgeous. Uh, it does have the all-star cast and this movie's quotable as hell. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there yeah, is, is so many fantastic quotes, most of them coming out of the mouth of uh, Val Kilmer. Kurt I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> the, I'm coming and hell's coming with me. Oh yeah, that's a that's a good one. That's uh, a gift. It's just the buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you know one thing I you know I've got to say about this podcast is it's been a, a criminal underrepresentation of Val Kilmer on this show, and the last couple episodes he's he's been there. We're he's, bringing him in. He's yeah, been doing no. his thing, and you know i i kind of went in and out of being impressed with his performance in this film like sometimes he is like really really doing it for me and then sometimes i'm like okay he's like he's barely holding on to that accent you know he's like just try, he's trying to keep it in there but i think overall i mean this is peak this might be peak kilmer i mean well, not peak. He's almost there. 1997 Batman Forever is when he would peak, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, Car- Randy, but Carlos, Randy Fire, I, actually. Carlos, we may be um we may not have done enough Kilmer on the show, but we have done uh director um George Cosmatos who directed the film. We did discuss him. Get ready for it, Carlos. Back in episode 17, when we discussed the movie he directed, Mandy, starring Nicolas Cage. Wait, what the fuck? What the hell are you talking about? That is not Not the same guy. No. Same director. No. No. It's not. uh, Y'all talk. I'm looking it up. Y'all talk. I'm looking it up. It is not the same guy. George Tomatoes died in the 2000s. I will be rectified. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, fuck. Y'all are right, man. I was trying to come up with some (laughs) awesome connection. No. Well, clearly all of this will be cut out. It's it's close. Panos. It's Panos Panos Cosmatos. Okay, okay. let, Let me try again. Let me try again. Are they related? No, let me try again. Let me try again. Oh, actually, I think uh, I think I think they are related because Panos well, has a he has a he has a credit on Tombstone. Yeah, that, says that's, camera. That, that, that's yeah, son. that's what I meant. It was his son. I think or it's something. his son. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I meant. What did y'all think I said? The same guy? <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> no, uh, but uh, there are a couple of problems I had with the film. Uh, and that one of them, you mentioned Jason Priestley, Joaquin. That whole subplot is toothless. It's it's weird. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's kind of in there for only one reason but to, I think, uh, make the, the, the female lead, the, the actress, more... Uh, I don't know, uh, desirable so that uh, Kurt Russell has a reason at the end to continue to pursue her. Uh, the ending I thought was a weird little like tack on. I don't know how true to life any of this movie was, but I mean, other than that, for what it is, this is just a sit down and enjoy yourself for an hour and 45 minutes film. And they, they do a really good job helping you just enjoy yourself. I think after that last gunfight with Johnny Ringo and Doc Holliday, that's where it kind of just goes, eh. It's like the same thing. Right. He ends the movie just like, I have no money. I have no this. I have no that. And I was like, you try to do that nowadays. This is like, girls just going to walk out on you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she's, but she's <laughs> has some generational wealth, so it all works out. Uh, yeah, right. This was, He's there for all the right reasons. Yeah. yeah. This, was a, this was one of the few films that I watched that I felt compelled to take notes during. I don't normally yeah. do that for the podcast, but there was just a mo- <laughs> there was a moment in this one. I like I get the I understand the metaphor and I get like the symbolism or whatever. But li- but the person who wrote this film literally sat there and said, "I'm gonna make it so that these horses are trying to fuck." So that it, we understand that Kurt Russell and this girl are also vibing each other. Like, what the fuck? Kind of like, literally, they're like, they're in like, oh, yeah, my horse is trying to like bone your horse. And it's like, oh, okay, well, like, because we're trying to do that, too. Let's ride off into the sunset together. It is the weirdest scene that I think I've ever seen as far as trying to like establish a romantic connection between two characters. It was bonkers. Insane. I just want to read your notes. My notes literally says, these horses trying to fuck, question mark, like as a metaphor <laughs> or some shit. I wrote that down. And then and, and then also did the NRA finance this movie? Because there was that weird part where like they're trying to take people's guns and then people aren't okay with it. And then it's like, no, we need the guns. Like that was kind of a strange. And guns in the end. Yeah, yeah that that part was kind of fair. And, and and to go back to what we were talking about before I started like started rambling or whatever, the bit about Kurt Russell and the woman who he eventually ends up with that's not his wife, the way that the film portrays their like star-crossed lover kind of romance or whatever it's like it's so bananas that every time they look at each other they stare at each other for like a full five minutes just like cut back and forth between them staring at each other and this like enchanted kind of orchestral music comes on it's like and it's like it's just so on the nose in like such a ridiculous <laughs> way. I every time it happened, I was like, "Dang, this is really happening right now." If you take all the killing away, you got yourself a nice Hallmark movie, <laughs> straight up, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, yeah. But all that the, to be said, one, like I did enjoy it. Like I yeah, just yeah. there oh, were just yeah. some moments where I was like, "Wait a second, what is happening?" 
Well, no, I love it when they show up in the town and, you know, the first, you know, approaches the mayor and like, okay, so what's going on in this town? Okay, that that place has a uh, shifty car dealer. All right, I'm going in there and taking care of that. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, it just like sort of starts setting things in motion. That classic sort of like Western Main Street sort of with with the saloons and the and the gambling parlors and the, and the, fight of the, the fights of the alpha males. Yeah, lots of yeah, machismo I, in this movie. Yeah, I mean, and it's and it's coming. You know, thinking of it when it was made. You know, this is just a couple years after Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood, um, really dark, sort of gritty, dirty western. And it's interesting to think. You know, this was, I think, in some ways, going a little bit back towards that more romanticized vi- vision of the West. Like things are a little bit cleaner and and certainly brighter. Um, and and like you say, there's this very like there's the camaraderie, the spirit among the brothers that 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 sort of I think is the heart of the film, and that it, along with Doc Holliday, you know, kind of included in in that. Um, that you know, I think if if you can tap into that and get into that, this is an incredibly entertaining and fun film. Um, it's it's not like the Dark Knight of the Soul kind of film that Unforgiven is, or some of the other kind of darker westerns that that maybe came, but but that's all right. I mean that to me, I like I like it when a film can do something like this. Um, it's interesting though. I don't know how many of you, or you know, if you Joaquin had read like I did read a little bit of the production history on this one because I found it kind of fa- I'm like okay, well how did this film get made in the 90s? And it really was this like passion project of the screenwriter who was originally going to direct i get i think kevin valley is his name and he had written glory so he was into like finding historical periods and really learning the details and at one time i guess the script was quite a bit longer and it was it developed the cowboys more they maybe at least in his in the historical record weren't as much of uh, just straight up villains there, there was a little bit more you know, the Earps maybe had their bad points and the, and the Cowboys had theirs. And there was um, but then, you know, once they got making it with this guy's director, they quickly, I guess, the studio kind of figured out, oh, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to turn into a film that people will want to watch. They kicked him out <laughs> and they brought in Cosmatos to kind of execute on what was essentially, it sounds like Kurt Russell's vision for the film. He he was kind of the one who ended up taking the reins and saying, no, it needs to pare down. It needs to be much more about Earp as this legendary figure who kind of rises up and, and is able to, to thwart this. And I mean, I think it works as that kind of movie, but it is interesting when you sort of learn, or as I did when I was reading about it, like learn that there was this transition that went through. Um, that it went through where where it was going to be a little bit more of a drawn out kind of drama about the back and forth between these two factions. I mean, you look at westerns like you know, there's Loads of Dove, and then there's the other mm-hmm. one movie, and it's like they're longer mm-hmm. of like they tell the entire story. So I, I get right. that. I'm yeah. pretty sure that's probably what they weren't wanting to do. They were just kind of like let's get to like the nuts and bolts of this and yeah. just. Like, you know, that's that's what it's going to be, you know? Yeah. Well, and you're right. And that was one of the other things, because this was being made pretty much simultaneously when Kevin Costner was making his Wyatt Earp film. And so it was almost like a little bit of a internal Hollywood battle to see, like, which one of these films is going to come out first and which is. And this one did much better at the box office What's on Kevin a smaller Costner's? budget. It's called Wyatt Earp. Uh, that's like a four hour movie. All yeah, Kevin yeah, Costner movies are so long-winded. Like, <laughs> too, like, like, when I was watching certain parts of this movie, like one of the first, like, 
I don't know, like maybe grittier westerns that I remember seeing in a theater was Open Range, which is a Kevin Costner oh, yeah. movie. Yeah, and Robert Duvall. Yeah, and I remember kind of liking it, but I also I was pretty young when I saw it. Um, like you know, my dad had to take me or whatever, and um, I remember thinking like, ah, oh, this is kind of boring and like. It's really long, like this is moving really slow, and then at the end of it, it's like this crazy fucking gunfight, and it goes from like a snail's pace to like you know crazy, like intense, like fast, whatever, like in a the snap of a finger. And there were some of the fight scenes that, some of the gunfight scenes that reminded me of Open Range, because I'm not a huge Western guy myself, so I think I don't know why that. Maybe because I was kind of younger when I saw it, you know, kind of like Joaquin was when he was watching mm-hmm. these movies, and it kind of just like set, like stayed with me a little bit more. Um, I, I, I think my one biggest criticism of the movie is there a lot of the times when you know the Ert brothers are like coming for the cowboys, they kind of reduce those to montage scenes, and I wish those had been a little more. Well, yeah, intense a lot of montages in this movie. See, though, those are the parts where I feel like you could have really like honed in and been like, okay, they're coming, like showing the like how are the cowboys bracing for it, like a big fight, at least one like really big kind of thing. I don't know. Um, yeah, I just I just there's found, a great fight it, at the river. That that's there that's, is. that's a good one. Yeah, there is. I, I just found it odd that they took like what is arguably the most interesting part of the script and montaged it, uh, or at least the most exciting part, not the most interesting, but. Well, I, I know that we're dying to taste the Rojo, but I, I would not be able to sleep tonight if I didn't say that Bill Paxton is a national treasure. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Underrated. Yeah, and Sam Elliott. I mean, oh, the, yeah. you know. This I is- still got one arm. I still got one good arm to hold you that with. We're going to die. Sam Elliott is just, he's, he's going to live forever. I sure hope, hope so. so. <laughs> he literally has generations of women that are just like just in awe of him. Yeah. Oh yeah, like she'll stop in the middle of whatever the hell she's doing. If Sam Elliott's on TV, she's just got full attention. Yeah, beef. Yeah. It's what's well, for did, dinner. I mean, did you see the, uh, <laughs> the the Bradley Cooper Star is Born movie a couple years ago with Sam Elliott? Um, I mean, the guy, yeah, he is. He's ageless. I mean, he, he's looked exactly the same since, like, whatever, 1975. I mean, yeah. if you've seen him in any film, he doesn't age. I mean, he's always been the crusty, salt-of-the-earth dude who, whenever he shows up in a film, is just rock solid. There he is. And the voice, I mean, that's, like, such yeah. a, I mean, he's just got the best voice. And yeah. That is, that is well, timeless. Yeah. And, and, you know, in ter- terms of timeline, I mean, this is only, what, four years before he's in The Big Lebowski as the, as the stranger, so basically playing the same character, <laughs> yeah. you know, as like the so narrator good. who's out of place in that film. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, this Rojo is taking Texas by storm. The three of us are tasting it for the first time tonight. I went into it saying, I do not like Big Red. David, what do you think? I think you do not like Big Red, but I think <laughs> I am actually okay with Big Red, and I am certainly okay with Rojo. I I think this is great. The complement of the sour here with the Berliner base that, that you have, it's perfection. Because, I mean, where I do think, you know, having tasted my first Big Red this morning or earlier this afternoon, yeah, maybe a whole bottle of that's probably a little too much, a little too sweet, a little too intense. 
the sourness here really helps balance out. And this is damn refreshing. I mean, that's not any, that's not the term I would use to describe Big Red at all, refreshing. It's more of a dessert soft drink. This one I could drink in the heat of summer. I guess I am. Um, <laughs> out on the patio on an afternoon with the blazing sun, and it would be doing the trick. Uh, yeah. Well, I basically had my first Big Red this morning because it's been so long since I've had one. <laughs> like, really, like, such a long time, I literally cannot remember. Um, but... I, I just got them. I got like a six pack of the mini cans. They're like seven and a half ounces or whatever. And mm. that one seven and a half ounce can, it's like the, you know, has the nutritional facts on the back and one can is a serving size. And it had over 50% of your daily sugar intake <laughs> in just that seven and a half ounces. And oh, yeah. I didn't. I didn't hate it. I probably wouldn't take as hard a stance on it as Joe is, but I also didn't particularly care for it either, the big red soda itself. Um, but I am 100% in agreement with what David said. This this beer is better than big red significantly. Right. Uh, yeah. But I but like you said, it's because of that Berliner base that is. I mean, because it. I mean, this. I mean, let's not get it twisted. The beer is sweet. You know, like it's got a sweetness that like a normal Berliner Weiss wouldn't, but it's balanced in a way that, you know, David said that he would drink it in the heat of summer. My AC was out all day and my house is still trying to cool down. And so I basically am drinking it in the heat of summer right now. It's hot <laughs> as shit in here. <laughs> and the, yeah, this beer is super refreshing. It is. And this is not something that I say lightly and it is not something that I say often, but this is worth the hype. Yeah. 100% worth the hype. Joaquin, what do you think? Uh, I think this last patch <laughs> we all have is a lot more balanced. The members one and the first run, we were tinkering with the syrup, and my whole thought process was trying to get the big red flavor out of it, and then we've kind of taken it back to where it was more balanced. I know some people say like, oh, it's balanced, 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 but I think the first initial runs, we had more of the the, res, the residential craft beer drinkers that mm -hmm. are used to the sweetness, the overtly sweetness, of pastry yeah. stouts, everything else that comes out, that I think what we did with these last few batches was say, hey, let's wrangle it back in, because remember, we're introducing a whole new sector of, of clientele to yeah. beer. So I wanted to get a little bit more to where it was the beer kind of meshed well with the Big Red, not the other way around, where it was just kind of like, oh, here's Big Red syrup. Oh, and by the way, there's a little bit of beer in it, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> I think you can do that with sours because they have some other – like some other breweries like 450 North, Answer, stuff like that, because yeah. they're so thick, you don't – you know, where does it – you know, where do you draw the line at? So, it's like fruit yeah. puree almost. Brewery, you know, but at some point, like I, I love to have that balanced – kind of flavor to where you can still get the beer but you also get you know what you came for the flavor of it yeah well like i can only tell the story that i'm about to tell um because of my opinion of the the, the beer uh backstage it was guys i hate big red and i'm gonna come out like the asshole that says that i don't like this beer unless <laughs> unless the berliner weiss base can offset that 
sweet carbonation that I get when I taste a Big Red. And I got to tell you, I, I want a four-pack of this in my refrigerator. I want a four-pack of this at every party that I go to while the temperature is this high because I'm going to be the most popular person in the room. <laughs> People are going to want to taste that Big Red infused rojo and you did such a great job with this it's so balanced it's so nice it's it's real it's real sweet so i'm probably not going to have more than two but um uh, can i have a second one please <laughs> the the uh, only thing that that i would want to see uh change about this is that i probably should have had some barbacoa to go with it Oh man, so oh. Right Joaquin, Joaquin, I was going to pick up barbacoa and deliver it to them, and they're like, "Oh, it's too on the nose. That's so South Texas." I knew that I ah. Uh. You got to get Southside barbacoa right there. Hey, are you, are you the, where do you think I would have gone? Where do you think I was gonna go? Hey, this oh, man knows. Is... This man knows. Yeah. Well, Joaquin, great job. Both of the beers tonight were home runs, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we so know good. that. So wh where does it go from now? Like how, what is the post COVID world? Do you even have that conversation? I don't know. I mean, we're at a point right now where we almost like the to go model a little bit more, honestly. I mean, there's, there's times where I do miss, I do miss being here conversating and having that vibe here. You know, that that's always been like the thing. Cause the it's, thing a it's a vibe. It's a vibe at the brewery. It's it's totally different from like going to any other brewery. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, uh, the music you guys have, like the yeah. whole the whole thing. Right now, it's just we're in that holding pattern. Obviously, I don't think we're gonna open up too soon until this all blows over. Really, you know. So right now, it's more like heat and space. So yeah. those are the two things that we're kind of because we did a summer here last year and holy shit it was so hot like people still sat in this brewery and it's like literally 96 degrees in here and they're sweating drinking pastry stouts like literally just <laughs> like they're sitting here enjoying the music the vibe everything like that so i think we're at a point where we want to make it comfortable so we're either at a point where we can we're gonna stay where we're at right now and then just find another spot where we're you know comfortable you know being at you know to where it's a little bit more accommodating so um right now it's just getting through this you know i mean as much as as much as we've had the success of, of doing what we've done we did it on you know very small a very small like budget so we did everything out of our own pocket which was kind of like you know it was is good and bad like i said we're seeing the repercussions of it obviously you know we've grown farther than our means so we're, we're starting to build little by little you know so it's just been one of those things where you know we're starting to see the growing pains of, of a lot. Oh, where'd you go? Yeah, no, no, that's Adam <laughs> back. His, his Wi-Fi might have gone out. Yeah, yeah. He's wild, that guy. Oh, uh, yeah, we're starting to see the growing pains a little bit more, you know, because, I mean, we, we've been like that when we first opened. You know, we literally sold out that weekend that we opened, and, we, and from there we were just kind of continuing to fight that fight, you know, little by little. So, I don't know. It's just one of those things where kind of, you know, taking it day by day. Yeah. Know? I, I mean, and I, I see that you guys sell out actually. I wish, I wish I could remember what the beer was, but there was something y'all had released on a weekend. My, it was, it, it was the last time I was actually at the brewery. My wife and I dipped in on our way home. This is probably in 
in January. And I literally went to order and um, I think it was like the taller kind of buff dude that is, is, is one of the bartenders. He pour, he got like like a quarter of a glass out or something like that, and the keg had kicked, and like that was it. Oh, like yeah. literally right as I got there. Some, actually, the person right before me had gotten it, and then it kicked when he was pouring mine. And so I, I, I see you guys just constantly selling out of all the new stuff that you guys are dropping, which is, which is great. I mean, that's what – I guess that's kind of what you want is to have that demand – yeah, and we just kind of went for it, you know. So, like for us, it's every drop counts. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. we can't lose any of it because I mean, like I said, we we started out on small, humble beginnings, and you know, we wanted to kind of navigate our way through the whole craft beer thing and see where it took us. So that was kind of the idea because we didn't want to. We kind of wanted to go for it first before we kind of invested in the equipment and all that other stuff, just to see if we can kind of you know prove to ourselves that we belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, you know, it's just been kind of like a ship. You know, we gotta gotta get all these things now. You know, yeah. It's like, yeah. But you know, like, I think, you know, it's just how we've kind of done it from day one. Is just kind of, you know, like almost like a swing for fen- swing for the fences mentality. Is just because we can't do it any other way. You know, we can't we can't afford to let beer sit in a cooler for you know more than a week. For know? sure, right. It's just, you know, we got to make it to where it's, you know, something that's going to be, you know, mind-blowing, you know, so that way we can move it and move on to the next one, or, you know, that way we can uh, get the equipment that some other breweries, you know, start out with, you know, so that way we can continue to do what we do, you know. For sure. And I'll say one, one beer that I remember having at the brewery that really stood out to me and that I hope that at some point I'm able to try again. Y'all did a, a, a beignet stout. Mm. That one was fire. That's so good. God, that I mean, the powdered sugar on the glass and shit, like the uh, the whole thing. God damn. Yeah, that lit. That one was good. So good. Yeah. That one's definitely gonna come back. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very glad to hear that. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Uh, The beignet stand guy actually, he uh, his uh, prep area, the food trucks in our in our car in our area. So. Oh, nice. And it's building complex. So. Very cool. Do some. I've been getting it, trying to get him to to uh, do another another pop. Nice. Well, Very before nice. Uh, I take us out of the episode and do all of our stuff, where can we find you, and where can we find Isla Street, and like plug all your stuff? Well, everything is bought in the brewery, so here in San Antonio, uh, in an industrial park. It's not too sketchy. It's, it's brand new. <laughs> I can I can attest it's not sketchy at all. Not sketchy at all. It's not sketchy. It's a little hot, but other than that, I mean, everything's bought through here, so we do everything through pre-sale. So our pre-sale sites through our uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, EaselyStreetBrewing.com. You can find the pre-sale link there. We're in the process of changing to Craft Peak, which is going to be able to handle the the traffic that we get now, because as it is right now. Me and my brother have to sit here with two iPads, the POS, the laptop, our iPhones, just to make sure that we don't oversell our product. Because okay. uh, the, the POS system that we use now is just ridiculous. So we'll do it. We'll do it on the pre-sale here on Wednesday. But everything's literally just uh, picked up here at the brewery. So what is start branching out? It's so. Is it just? Is it Isla Street Brewing? Like at Isla Street Brewing on yeah. on Instagram it's and stuff. At, 
At Easy Street Brewing. Cool. That's it. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I imagine a lot of people listening to this are here because of you. But if you're not and you're just one of our regular listeners, go follow them. Go find somebody in San Antonio to pick stuff up for you. Mm-hmm. Or do whatever you got to mm-hmm. do because you've got to get your hands on some of this beer. Now we've been talking with Tapology, so hopefully we'll get something down no. there soon. Yeah. Please. Those are the homies. But, 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 Shouts out Tapology. Okay, but hold on. You're, you're doing weekly releases of Rojo. You're doing them online for pickup, and they're selling out in like 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So... It is kind of a you got to be close to you got to be close to San Antonio to really enjoy this beer currently. Well, the, you got to be quick rec- on the trigger online. Yeah, the recommendation I got is you have to set up an account on our link, and what you do is you can go to another brewery that has Toast Tab, buy a sticker for a dollar, and then all of your payment information is saved. Mm. Oh, okay. oh, so it's a that sticker scam. Oh, come yeah. on. <laughs> Not my sticker scam. It's another brewery sticker scam. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I've seen I've seen different ways people people will save their stuff. I think Google Chrome's a good a good outlet. But yeah. depending on when this airs, but we'll have these are, we'll have these are Go ahead, Joaquin, sorry. So I was saying we'll have that craft peak here in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. So that one I think I if y'all have done the the new weathered souls pre-sale okay so we're gonna do that one that's pretty much what the apparently the big the big boys of the craft the hype brew beer industry they use them so like evil twin jay wakefield so it doesn't lock up our system because the first time we did the big rojo the even beforehand the pre-sale system crashes because there's so Mm. many signing in at the same time Mm. so you can't everything we can't even see the sales go through so it's just like we're we're going in there blind and finally we shut it off and it's like we did like three weeks worth of sales in two minutes and that's just this strange position of being at the size you are which makes sense in the business model but but putting out a beer that everybody wants to get their hands on yeah it's Dead very hard everybody it's very hard to explain because nobody, because some people get it, some people don't. There's that, there's that, you know, one in ten that just don't understand that we're here, like literally brewing on like the, the one of the smallest systems. Mm-hmm. So wow, just, what a fantastic just, position. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we certainly respect what you're doing, and we certainly respect you spending some time with us this evening mm-hmm. uh, can't thank you enough for being so generous with with again your time your film selection and and getting us some of that uh brewer's stash yeah, thank you for sure yeah, yeah. i always thank- love corpus love so <laughs> hell yeah thank you for so much love you back Shout out to Boatnet and Hunan Express. Hey, Boatnet, baby. <laughs> I have a really funny story about yeah. Boatnet, but I'll tell you. There's always, there's always a few things that I get when I go to Corpus. One's a Jalisco burrito because that's that's my place. Okay. You got to get off Horn Road. You got to get the Boatnet off the stores. You got to go. Well, actually, Weber because Weber's got the PVC pipe. And then the it's, clo- <laughs> it's closed now, bro. What? The one on Weber's closed? Uh, yeah, it's closed. Uh, I know. Sad. It had the PVC, though. That shit was fire. <laughs> That was crazy. Uh, uh, got to get the chicken fried rice. It's the jam. Yeah. That's OG. Boatnet is the truth, though. Okay. Put well. that in the put that in the beer, and we'll have you on again. <laughs> Boatnet collab. <laughs> Boat- <laughs> oh, that's Someone funny. Came up with something that I forgot what it was called. It was called something Boatnet. Can't remember what it was called. 
man, that's oh, it. That's that it one. right there, baby. That's it. Okay. Um, so y'all heard where to find Easy Street. Go follow the homies. Do your thing. Uh, try to get some of their beer if you can. I mean, do a trade. Do a, what? Do what you got to do because it's it's going to be down to San Antonio. It's going to be worth whatever it is you have to do uh, to get it. But as far as this podcast is concerned, you can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and Movie TX, Beer and Movie Podcast.com is where you can find a link to listen to all of our past episodes absolutely free. Um, and if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us out a great deal. This has been another fantastic Brewers episode, the second time that we've been able to interview uh, the brewmaster of one of our favorite breweries, and hopefully there are many more to come. Again, you got, you got- mission accomplished because i don't get i don't drink that often hey i'm not drinking that often right now and this is a great reprieve for me um thank you again i know we've said it already but for sitting down with us talking to us sharing some of your beer with us always a pleasure to be able to talk to the people that make the stuff that we love um but until next time i have not yet begun to defile myself (laughs) 